What's up, Albuquerque? This is Lindsay. And this is Ryan. Welcome to Season 5 of What's Up ABQ. What's up, Albuquerque? This is Lindsay. And this is Ryan. And today we have... Corey Spores from MST Adventures. Corey, tell us a little bit about what MST Adventures is for those that don't know. MST Adventures is an outdoor guide service, outdoor equipment rental and instruction business based here in Albuquerque, New Mexico. So I just have to say, like, I had the pleasure of going on one of your adventures yesterday. And thank you for that, because it was really cool. I was talking to my husband about how it's really cool when you you have experiences, like people give you the gift of experiences instead of just like stuff. And so we were really excited because it was like a good experience that we got to have. And we went snowshoeing in the Sandias and it was excellent. My first time. So I learned a little bit, but I wanted to say, I wanted to compliment you on your, your guide, guidance. <laughs> I can't talk today on your guidance because there's a lot we learned and it was a really like, I felt like a hands-on and kind of immersive experience where it was like, we were a part of the process, not just like observing or, you know, doing something without knowing what we were doing. So it was really cool. Great. I'm glad you had a good time. It's having a good experience and having that experience. I think it's really why I'm doing this. I've been doing outdoorsy things, right? Since I was three and my parents threw me in a canoe and said, all right, we're going to go down the river. And it's just evolved slowly throughout time. And then sharing that with others is just kind of the foundation of what it is that I like to do. And you know, more of the passion works. I did not get to go the other day. <laughs> Lindsay, what was it like? It was really cool. So no, we went snowshoeing and I know that you you do more than just like snow sports. You do river, like river paddling, river paddling. See, I don't even know what to call it. And, and different, different activities. You have a bike camp for kids that we were talking about yesterday a little bit. So it's not just snow sports. I enjoyed it because I like, I have really bad knees. Right. And I have always wanted to learn how to ski and snowboard, but I just, my knees just like, can't take it. So I thought, okay, I think snowshoeing is something that I could probably do. And so it was really cool because I got to get sort of a taste for that. And and then also just sort of see like what my level is of activity and like how I'm going to go forward if I want to keep doing it. So it was really neat. So I know that you are not a native New Mexican. Tell us a little bit about your background and kind of how you ended up in Albuquerque. A few years ago, my, my wife finished her graduate degree and then found herself looking for jobs. She grew up in Colorado, wanted to move closer to home. And so we were looking in Colorado. We were looking in Idaho, like everywhere in the West. She was tired of being in the Midwest. And uh, she said, you know, Albuquerque is pretty cool. Let's check that out. And we're like, hey, this is the Colorado experience without the Colorado price tag. Yeah, that's right. As I clap. No, seriously, that's that's <laughs> like, that's. I always sell New Mexico to people that way. I'm like, yeah. well, it's pretty much like Denver, but without the price. So. Yeah. And the smog. Yeah, so we found ourselves here 2015. Uh, I had left uh, my professional job and my wife said, you should do something that you enjoy and you should do something that's fun. So I was like, yeah, I'm going to go back to doing more guide work. And so that's kind of, I started teaching whitewater kayaking, doing kayak classes for another local business. And then at the end of that season, I was like, what do you guys do in the winter? They're like, we don't really do anything. I was like, how do you do this? You know, like I grew up on a farm. I'm used to like working every day uh, and having things to do. So I just thought like, let's buy some snowshoes. Let's get rolling. So then we started MST Adventures the fall of 2016 and started serving customers in January of 2017. Lindsay mentions, you know, some of the, some of the, uh, the uh, different things that you do through MST Adventures. Tell me all about all the other things besides snowshoeing. Yeah. So uh, wintertime is for snowshoeing and wildlife tours. We do adventure brewery tours throughout the season. We do stand-up paddle boarding, and mostly May to October, depending on if we have snowpack to push the river that long. 
And then we do mountain biking instruction and guided tours with a local bike shop called The Bikesmith. And so through that, we've developed some youth camps, which is like our Grom camp. Um, This season, new for us, is Strider camp or balanced bike camp, as well as a learn to ride camp for those slightly older who aren't on Strider bikes. And that kind of grew out of a passion for teaching my kids to ride bikes, because now my kids, they're both four today, Uh, (laughs) for another couple days. We got the Irish twins, so I'm tired of being stuck in my house with little kids, and I'm really stoked (laughs) that they're now mobile, right? And so get on a bike, get outside, let's get rolling. And thinking to myself, like, how do I share this? Like the neighbor girl, she she doesn't have a balanced bike. She's embarrassed because she sells training wheels. And I'm like, you don't be embarrassed. Like, let's just ride and have fun. You know, so our cul-de-sac is like this busy swarm of activity on really sunny days. What was it like for you first learning to ride a bike? Then? So when I, <laughs> no, when I, I saw so I'm the youngest of three boys. Uh, my dad always joked that I was like, 10 going on 18 because I was trying to keep up with my brothers. So when I got my first pedal bike, I had traded my Uncle Dave, my big wheel, and my parents were coincidentally having a garage sale. My dad said, I'll put training wheels on in a minute. And as parents, we know in a minute could be in a minute or like a day from today. So I got that prodding from myself and I hiked over to the neighbors because they had a concrete driveway and I got on my bike and I rode directly into their garage. And uh, that's how I started biking. I kind of, since we're talking about like kids and sort of, and sort of getting kids started on doing things outdoors as a parent, what are some things that you would suggest for people who have smaller kids? Like what are some things they can do? And what are some like pieces of gear that you think they could get started with their family and doing these kind of like adventures outdoors? It can start at any age. Uh, Yesterday on the trail, we saw the guy skiing with the kid in the backpack. So that's what I started with was a kid's carrying backpack, Kelty made. And that's how I've gotten my kids going. But I think the most important thing is to keep it fun and and realize you're on the kids' timeline when you're outside and you're trying to get them involved in what you want them to do. You know, there's no like, well, we we have to be here at five. It's like, well, we're going to be out here and have fun. And uh, gummy bears, lots and lots of gummy bears. We got to keep it fun. You know, I I think it's really important. We take, when we paddle down the river uh, with our kids, I'm looking at like, two miles max Uh, we're stopping along the way and we're going to get muddy we're going to throw rocks we're going to eat food we're going to swim like it's going to take us a normal human being would it would take us like maybe 30 minutes to 45 minutes to get down this two miles and with the kids this is like a half day three-quarter day adventure depending on how much sunscreen you have right yeah do you have some favorite places in new mexico that you like to go for different adventures different times of year Yeah, absolutely. I absolutely adore the Gila wilderness in uh, September, October. Like I said, I've been involved in the outdoors my whole life. Part of that's been learning how to be uh, an outdoors person with a bow and arrow. And so I really like chasing elk when I get pulled for tags here in New Mexico. And that's one of the most beautiful times to be out because you actually hear and you can feel the wild like creeping in as the elk are bugling. So I like that, you know, in the wintertime, any place with snow, is is good for me. I, I like to snowshoe. I like to ski. I like to backcountry ski. In the spring, when there's water, really the good water, you know, snowmelt. I I like the paddle, the Rio Grande Gorge, the Taos Box. Being on the water is has been my jam, and it's what keeps me like really like brings me back in the focus as to what I'm doing. And I I cannot wait for summer because I really want to go whitewater rafting. Like I have I have plans now. Yeah. So you had told us a little story yesterday when we were hiking or hiking, snowshoeing, um, about this rock on the water that you noticed. I, I thought it was a cool story. Would you mind sharing that? Oh, yeah. No, absolutely. I, this is such a New 
Mexico thing, and I love it. Yeah, yeah. You know, as as most people know who grew up here uh, and are transplants, like you quickly learn how much like culture there is here and history. And um, on the middle box of the Rio Grande, there's a small side drainage that comes into the river. And uh, there's a black basalt rock that's kind of polished a little bit. And it has a bunch of really cool, like, elk tracks, like, carved into it. There's, like, a snake carved into it. And this rock is huge. I mean, it's the size of a Volkswagen. And so, at first, you find yourself staring at it because it's kind of out of place. And then, as your eyes and the sunlight changes, you notice all the petroglyphs. You can't help but be in awe. And, like, to me, that's a sign... You know, as a river person, I think of this like, oh, like that's a McDonald's sign from back in the day. Like, hang a right and you're going to find some elk. <laughs> hang a right, you're going to find some bighorn sheep. And I just think like that history is really, really unique to this area. And it's, it's something to be cherished. And so you're going to have to find it on your own. But it's in the middle box. <laughs> We're not going to blow up your spot or anything. Like, <laughs> good luck. Yes. And I, the other thing I wanted to, I wanted to mention, and I don't know if you want to get into detail on this. It's okay if you don't. You were out searching for Forest Fen's treasure at one point. Yes. Tell us a little bit about that because that is super fascinating. I know so many people that have been like enthralled with this whole thing. So. Yeah, I was I was happy and disappointed and sad and all the emotions you get at like like with loss and grieving, denial and anger, everything. <laughs> should have been me. I, I got brought into it. My brother had read a book like right after I got here. It had his poem in it and was like, hey, Corey, check this out. I'm like, yeah, all right. You know, this is pretty cool. I'm like, whatever. And then one day I had uh, some clients call me and they were like, hey, I need you to teach me how to kayak. I was like, sure. And then we got talking about stuff and talked about like hunting mushrooms and like all these things. And um I think we talked about that yeah, on the trip yesterday. About, yeah, mushroom foraging, because coming yeah. from Oregon, that's like a big thing up yeah. there. So we were kind of talking about, yeah. When I lived in Missouri, that was a big thing there, oh, too. It, yeah, it's, it's, it's big. Yeah. It's big, yeah. You know, and uh, so, you know, this gentleman and I got talking about stuff. And then pretty soon he's like, you know, all right, I'm going to level with you. Here's why I want to learn how to kayak, because I'm concerned I might need to have these skills hunting for Forest Fen's treasure. I was like, all right, cool, man. Can I come? Yeah, well, so I just left it at that, wanted to give him the best uh, class I could, like I would anybody. And then the phone rang like a year later, and he's like, hey, it's me again, and this is where I want to go, and this is what I want to do. It was like, let's do it. So progressively for three three years, he'd call me up, and we'd take these week-long adventures, and sometimes I was there just to hold the bear spray and make sure everybody is safe. Other times it was because like I was trying to solve the riddle with him. As as time would go on, like we had a really wonderful time and we joked around like what would we do if we, we had found his treasure? And we both agreed, like he had this idea of making a gold, like solid gold morel mushroom and then hiding that in the woods. And that would be like how we would move this forward, like one treasure to another treasure. And I was like, you know, like from another mushroom hunter, I'm like, dude, this is on like Donkey Kong. We got to do this. So, um, yeah, so that's kind of how I got involved with Forest Fen's treasure. I love, I love that whole story, that whole thing. I know there's like, I think there's a lot of disappointment when people heard that it was found and I wish we had more information, but they won't, they won't tell us anything. For people who don't know what that is, I Google it. <laughs> well, no, no, what, what, what is that about? Maybe someone's listening doesn't know. Yeah. Yeah. Forest Fen is a very, was a very eclectic art collector and um, school teacher. He was from Texas, but later settled in uh, Santa Fe. 
he had this uncanny knack at that point in time, like when he got here, the 50s, 60s. He was um, a decorated combat pilot from the Korean War. His life experiences were big, and he dreamed big, and he made a lot of money in the art world and artifact world, and so he said, you know what, I like adventure, and there isn't enough adventure out there, so I'm going to stack this chest, and the chest itself is worth lots of money, with... You know, I think of it like uh, the movie The Goonies, right? Like One-Eyed Willie and his treasure, like, and all these Spanish doubloons. Like, he put all kinds of stuff in this box, and then he buried it, or not buried it, but hid it, wrote a poem with clues that could help you find it. And um, and you could only buy this, the poem It was in a book he had written, and you could only buy it at this one local store in Santa Fe. So it was, like, kind of, you know, like, niche Yeah. Right? Yeah. It's an adventure. I know. As an Oregon kid, I'm like the Goonies. Yep. There's like some yeah. magic around that yeah. whole thing. Like yeah. Davy Cooper and his oh, money. Yeah. Right. I mean, we used to sit around campfires as kids, and like they would tell stories about like, well, you never know, it could show up, and then the money started washing up on. I think it was the Columbia Riverbanks, yeah. and people were like, what? And it was like this whole thing. So, yeah. absolutely. I mean, <laughs> I think the, in the society that we live in, right. We're so sucked into social media and what their agenda is for us. Like, we're not going down the rabbit hole like we should be. And, like, I think little adventures like this, like, these are the things that we need as, as people to feel alive. And there's all this outcry for some of the potential, like, hazards that could happen along this. You know, everybody's like, oh, no, people died. You need to pull your treasure. You need to do this. And it's like, no, like, we're not a bunch of softies. Like, we can get hurt. We can have experiences. We can learn to accept risk. And we need to teach risk mitigation skills to our kids. And little adventures like this, they're great. It's a great way to do it. What do you think makes for a good adventure? That's a great question. I think everybody has their own vision of what a good adventure is for me an adventure a good adventure is one that has like risk potential it has like some adrenaline in it it has this like masogi feeling where it's like you're about 50 50 can i complete this can i not right like i was feeling that yesterday honestly at the last stretch i was like i'm so tired like how do i go on and then it was cool because my husband was like hold on, let's just like pause. And we were like looking up at the trees and there were these little flickers coming down and we were just like, all right, like let's savor this moment for a minute. We don't have to be in a rush. We don't have to hurry. We're not in a hurry to get there. Like yeah. let's enjoy the ride, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And that's, that's the thing. I think a good adventure has a lot of um, being present, right? If it, You have to be present or it just won't work. And those are just some of the, you know, it's like some of the little ingredients, you know, throwing a little eye in newt and, and like life is good. <laughs> Yesterday we were talking a little bit about um, apps and like those nature apps. And I, and I think this is a good segue because we were talking about how those are, those are great tools for some things, but it takes something out of the discovery portion. Tell me a little bit about how you feel about self, the self-discovery and especially being in nature, you know, and learning and things like that and teaching. Yeah, absolutely. So um, throughout life, I, I had a lot of curiosity. It's like if I saw a flower, I wanted to learn what that flower was. And, you know, at that time it was like, oh, this is a spring beauty like, okay, cool. This is Lily of the Valley. Cool. And then as I got into college, um, in some of my botany classes and my dendrology classes, it was like, what is this? And then we got, you know, some books and some information. I had a dichotomous key. So you're like, you're really investigating what it is you're looking at and really working directly to figure it out. And those apps 
those apps are great. Like I'm walking in the woods and what is this? Like, oh, look at this. This is, this is poison ivy. Sweet. Like I no longer need to learn any more about this plant other than don't touch it. Yes, exactly. Right. But those apps, they, they minimize that discovery process, that going down the rabbit hole. And what that does is that that prohibits us from actually becoming like good botanists. And like, we don't all have to be EO Wilson. Like I, I'd give my left, I'd give both arms to be EO Wilson, but like, yeah, take them, take them right now. I just think like that process, it's taught us so much. It's it's taught me so much more about everything else. Right. So if you can apply the principles learned in this learning process to another, another process or another, whether it's paddling or it's trees or it's flowers or it's insects, like you learn something valuable and you lose that with these apps because we're in such this like instant gratification mode. Well, you know, it's funny. It made me think, you know, both Lindsay and I, we're of the, the right age that we, we remember the time before the internet, the time I'm now with the internet. Millennial. That's what I've been called She's lately. Really, really, really geriatric, heavy on the geriatric. <laughs> I'm, I think I'm an Xennial, that like micro generation. I like that better than geriatric okay. millennial. So 1983, I don't know what that makes me so, figure it out. So, <laughs> kind of related, kind of not related. I don't know. It made me think. So, it was my birthday earlier this week, and uh, I got one of the first video games I ever played. It was, it was called Commander Keen. It was back in the day. It was very dossy, you know. Back in the day, there's no cheats. There's no internet. You can either beat the level or you can't. Yeah. And that's the way it is, yeah. you know. And so, like, being able to, like, talk with your friends. Like, what did you do? What did you discover? Like, what works? What doesn't? Like, the challenge part of it is real. Like, with the whole idea of adventure and going out and figuring out what the heck do I actually need to do to make this work? Yeah. You know, I think a great place for those kinds of like apps and things it's like when we take kids their attention span is like here and gone and if we can get them an answer quick they're happy we can then go back and read about it later right because there's usually some kind of track but like i just think that there's a lot of good things out there not everything's bad but well, I thought it was cool because I think you incorporated a little bit of that learning process in the tour we did yesterday. You know, we stopped and it was like, oh, what kind of tracks are these? Well, let's look at them. Let's examine them. Let's talk about it. You know, what kind of flowers are these? Old man's beard. I didn't know that's what that was called yeah. for the longest time. I'm like, you know, that moss. It was in Oregon. You didn't know? I just didn't know. I knew that. I just didn't know the name. Oh, yeah. You have an old man's beard. So there you go. I do. <laughs> it's, it's for those watching the podcast. Yeah, right. <laughs> it's getting pretty gnarly. He got a haircut, but I'm not so sure the beard got any uh, attention. How is my chin supposed to stay warm? This, this is this is serious business. Right. <laughs> just hanging out in the breeze. Yeah, no, no, no. The longer the better. <laughs> I, if I shave, I look like a little kid. So that's why, you know. Fair enough. Yeah, I know. So I like I like that learning component that we that you kind of incorporated into the process. I thought it was really cool because it was not just, you know, doing one activity and that's the activity. It's like there's this whole compilation of things that go into it and into the experience. Uh, we're at about our halfway point. Don't make that face at me. Wow, just shut me down. All right. Do it. Keep going. No, it's fine. Go ahead. Sure. Okay. All right. Uh, So we will take a quick break and we'll be right back. If you want a new job, Goodwill has a free service to help you find it. Need to learn interview skills or create a resume? We offer free training too. And we have a huge network of employer partners across New Mexico, local companies that are hiring right now. Ready for a new job? Don't hesitate. A perfect job is waiting for you. And help to find it is free. Good will it. 
And we're back. All right. And today we have Corey Spores with MST Adventures. So we were talking a little bit before the break about adventures and what makes a good adventure. Do you have one? I, that's not a fair question, but what is one of your favorite adventures that you've gone on recently and where was it? I don't want to say one because that's not fair. <laughs> yeah. So that's a great question. That's a great Sorry. question. So um, yeah. winter and summer or seasonal. Let's make it seasonal. Your favorite seasonal adventure for both seasons. Yeah. So my favorite uh, favorite summer adventure that I've done like thus far uh, since I've lived in New Mexico it didn't take place in New Mexico but it was uh, paddling down the middle fork of the Salmon River and we were on the river I believe for about seven to nine days I say seven to nine because it all runs together you hit day three you find the rhythm life feels really good and it doesn't matter how much longer it is you know you find yourself paddling slower towards you know as you get closer to the takeout because you don't want it to end um, but that was wonderful that was up in the Frank Church Wilderness Area in Idaho and uh, it's yeah it's it's wonderful and then um a winter adventure that's been a, a really good time was a snowshoe trip that my wife and i took uh, this january and uh, we snowshoed into nambe lake and um, uh, for those who don't know nambe lake is just past ski santa fe you can get there via the windsor trail and then it's a couple other trails you have to follow if you're there earlier in the season the trail's not always cut into the lake uh, so you're at the mercy of whatever wanderer was ahead of you and so for those of you who followed my track in sorry about that it was a good one and um we got into Nambe Lake and then there's the bowl back there um and oftentimes people will ski it if there's enough snow if avalanche dangers in the right level you know I'm not really one to to go down without a fight so we climbed the bowl and topped out and then um snowshoe down Ravens Ridge back and so that was just really fun I long for these kinds of adventures and um, having kids kind of keeps me a little closer to home. And so I, I try to find whatever it is I can do as close by as maybe dangerous or not dangerous as possible. I was going to ask, have you ever done like the Appalachian Trail or the the uh, Pacific Crest Trail or anything? No, I haven't taken those really long walks yet. I was just out on Mount Taylor last weekend for the Mount Taylor Quad, and that's part of the CDT. And that's a really cool trail system. Arguably, it's probably way less known than the PCT or the uh, AT and but it's it's probably just as cool if not cooler than those trails and most people in New Mexico don't realize we have that here in our backyard. So if you were going to guide somebody who is maybe new at adventuring outside what are some places you would take them for like a beginner level versus an expert level? It really kind of depends on the activity but the biggest thing is when we're learning the best way to go about it is you have to be in a comfort zone to learn. So you're not filled with fear and anxiety. And because then learning stops, it just stops that part and it turns into survival. And so I've done a lot of like introduction, the paddling classes right here on the Rio Grande in, in town. Cause everybody's like, it's flat. There's nothing here. And there's enough features that you can learn a lot of the basic techniques and really dial those in and then take those up up north and paddle around on the race course or the state park section of the Rio Grande. Um, or for that matter, going into Farmington and playing at the play park, uh, which is a underutilized resource here in New Mexico. So those are just kind of like how I look at it. So it really depends on the individual and their level of, of skill. You know, we're not just going to go out and do a, a death march. That's never my goal. With my no, I appreciated that yesterday. Yeah. Thank you so much. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Sometimes it gets a little long, but like I was telling one of the other guests, 30% of the people who leave, of the 100% of people who leave uh, the parking lot on the trail we did yesterday, 
30% will actually go all the way to the crest. One Part of it's because of the distance. Part of it's because they hit that down and they start going up and they're like, eh, I'm done, like throwing the towel. And, you know, if you just push a little bit past that level of comfort, you hear your legs talk to you, like you're going to have a really good experience because, I mean, like awesomeness is just right there. Y- you weren't there, but, you know, we were on the 10K. We headed north. We got all the way up to like where Usha Loop takes off. And then the hill, uh, the trail starts going uphill until you reach Ellis. Um, and it's, it's not a... Yeah, it's a little bit of a climb, you know. You might have to put your head down and just go one step at a time, and that's okay. And in just a very short amount of time, 10 minutes maybe, like we're at the crest and you get to see this view that you don't see riding the tram, you don't see driving up and walking down the service road. You see a view that kind of goes and looks towards Farmington, and it's really, really wonderful, especially if you get up there with a fresh snow. It's, oh, it's great. It was a good, it was a good incentive for me to just think, because you had told us before we left, you're like, you know, if at any point you feel like I'm done, I'm tired, we can turn around. And so for me, it was like knowing like I'm in control of like when I decide to turn around. That was a really good incentive for me. And then pushing myself to that moment where it was like, I have never seen this view from this perspective before. And like, I may not get that opportunity anytime soon. So like, I want to take it, you know? That reminds me, um, have you ever been up to Hermit's Peak? Out no, to Las Vegas? We were just talking yeah. about it. Yeah. yeah, and it's incredible. I've been I've been up four times. I used to work at a camp at the base, and uh, you can see Texas. You know, like, it's incredible. To be able to hike up it, it's like you earn that moment at the crest, you know? And there's no other way to get that. Um, and, and, you know, just like you were saying, Linz, um, you know, I don't know the last time that I'll, I'll be able to go up there again, you know? And, you know, you can camp up there or whatever, but, but just being able to be up there and experience... Is something that will never happen unless you go do it. Yeah, you have to. You have to make a. You have to dial in your agenda to say this is what I'm going to do. You know, one of the things that I've learned along the way is like if you're not doing something challenging once a year, like you're not living. You know, and especially with kids, you have to find those challenges sometimes that aren't at home. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. And and so it's like, all right, next summer we're gonna we're gonna go to Hermit's Peak. Let's put it on the calendar and then let's prepare for that leading up to it. Speaking of challenges and very important things. I, I have two very important questions for you. All right. Are you ready? Yes. Okay. First off, red or green? Oh, green. If you're going to go somewhere in town, not a relative's house, for really good green chili, where do you go? That's a great question. Um, Brings his own at the peak. Yeah. Uh, I think currently my favorite green chili is at uh, El Patron. No, I actually, no, I haven't been to El Patron in a while, but it's like pretty close to my house, so I feel like I should probably do that soon. That's my go-to, yeah. Yeah, they're so tolerant of our little humans, it's great. Hey, that is that is enough reason for me to show up, I'm serious. Promise our kids won't burn the restaurant down, can we just have some food, thanks. No, one of the the, uh, popular answers on on the show here is uh, Cucina Azul, and I finally got to go last month. Oh yeah. And it was amazing. It was really good. They I went to the one on Mountain. They give your kids, if you have kids, they give your kids a free little bowl of beans. Oh, nice. Which is awesome because it's like they get it. They're like, oh, you're hungry? Here, have these beans. Yeah. And your kids are like, okay. That's great. So. Yeah. Yeah, we were just recently down to El Pinto and they have some pretty good chili too. Like that atmosphere. I'm longing to go there in the summertime because yeah. just the, I think the ambiance of that area is pretty awesome. So, One yeah. time we went there with kids when they were really young and my kids broke the water fountain. <laughs> So I don't know if they want us back. I mean, I feel like my kids are old enough now to where they could probably not break water fountains, but I was like a little embarrassed. I was like, I'm so sorry. It's one of those parent moments where you're like, I'm never coming back here. Yeah. <laughs> so if someone's going to go go adventuring, what kind of food should they take? What gear? Like what, what gear, happened? food, whatever. How should they prepare? Yeah, a lot of it gear-wise just depends on what, what adventure it is. And New Mexico, there's one thing you'll never see me without, and that's a pair of sunglasses. I always have them on. 
you know, it's just so bright. So it's sunglasses, sunscreen, longer adventures, like more than a day. Bring something that's comfort comfort for you, like whether that's a bar of chocolate or whatever it is, a package of Swedish fish. And I'm a fan of like Cliff Shots. Uh, I like their margaritas uh, because it just reminds you of good things, you know. And inevitably during the trip, at some point, you're going to be hungry and you're going to start talking about food. And that's when (laughs) those things like pop in. Like it's so nice to have, you know, I had some peanut butter and jelly balls, which are really good. So we, we moved beyond the MRE status, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, listen, I'm a sucker for chicken a la King, but uh, yeah, there, we shouldn't be eating MREs. uh, You know, the mountain house food's really good. Yeah. There's, there's good backpacking meals out there for that kind of stuff. And you know, I use those when I go hunt. Car camping's another story, you know, because you can take so much more. But yeah, so sunscreen, glasses, you know, you want to dress for the weather and you want to dress in layers. In New Mexico, it gets really hot, so it's easy to strip layers, you know, and in the summer here, you want to be mindful of like in the winter dressing in cotton layers because cotton holds moisture and it can make you cold and it can be not safe. But in the summer here, like having a cotton shirt and getting it wet, like is a really nice thing to help reduce the evaporative heat loss. It will help cool you down. So that's like how I swap things in the summer a little bit. The only thing I don't wear is uh, like, like a road cycling Jersey, you know, like I'm not into that. Chamois are for roadies. Uh, so tell us what you really think. Yeah. So, you know, but I'll still wear like a wicking layer if I'm biking and things like that. But you know, in July when it's 105, like cotton t-shirts the way to go and then pour an algae on you right away. So I wanted to kind of touch on one more thing that we had talked about yesterday because I thought it was a good incorporation on the tour also. And we were talking about forest bathing. Do you want to explain that a little bit? Because I know some people know what that is. Not a lot of people do. Um, I only know because I read about it once or twice. But tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, I'm going to muddle my way through this. I'm not an expert at it, right? But a good good tidbit, you know? Do you mind if I tell you how we got to that point? All right, so I had taken this older... uh, hippie down the river and he was telling me why everybody in New Mexico is angry and I was like I want to hear this right like this is good so he's like and he's like look man you know everybody in New Mexico is angry because there's all this dirt and there's no water you have your yin and you don't have your yang he's like it's the same reason that like pirates are mutinous at sea there's no land and there's all this water I was like this old boy's on to something so I'm like I'm looking for some science to back this up and I ran into this book called Blue Mine from Wallace uh, Wallace J. Nichols and he talks using a variety of scientific studies to say why we're attracted to water, why water helps us calm down, why it has this like certain effect on us. And I I thought through uh, my professional history when I was a park ranger and why we might find certain people who want to be lost near streams or overlooks or those people who are just down in the dumps and they're wanting to end it, like where we're going to find them. And um, so I got thinking about that and started reading some more books. And next thing you know, I I found the book called Nature Fix. And then they're talking about this, the blue mind and then like uh, red mind. And that's kind of like where we are when we live in the city, like our mind is like it's 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 in this red mind zone and like there's all these things going around our cell phones are dinging there's car noises in albuquerque it's everybody without a muffler that thinks they're cool right we're and, talking to you yeah stop it. stay off a tramway it's, it's not it's not as cool as you think it is it's going really um yeah right yeah right some cities have noise ordinances <laughs> whoever you are in the dodge charger at 2 a.m on coors go home no one cares. Thank you. You're drunk. <laughs> no one cares. You're not that cool. Everybody has a Dodge Charger. Rant over. I'm sorry. All right. Cool. I, I, dude, I, I'm down with that. That's, thank you. All right. Um, and so then, 
we, she starts talking about how, how do we get out of this? How do we find ways to relax? And so then she starts talking, um, and the author of this book, The Nature Fix, she starts talking about forest bathing, which was started in Japan. They have a pretty high like work stress environment. They're one of the only countries that has a declining birth rate because all they want to do is work. It's like this very ingrained culture. So they started doing a bunch of research in their Hinoki Cypress Forest, and they realized like, oh, like as soon as you come out and start walking around about 20, 30 minutes, your heart rate drops, your cortisol levels decrease. And they're like, they're taking your blood pressure when you get to this like park and they're jotting down the notes and you leave, they do your, you know, it's like pretty cool. And uh, it's so cool, in fact, that now in South Korea, they kind of do the same thing. And so... It's called on in the States and it's pretty awesome. And I got thinking about how like when I go out and do different stuff, how on that third day, I'm like feeling better. Like I really like it. I'm able to slow down more and I'm able to just be like, man, this is great. And so I really thought about it a lot this winter while I was, I was on a Barbary sheep hunt and it was great. There was no cell service. Even if I wanted cell service, like it was wonderful. That's like a Hermes Peak? Yes. Yeah. yeah. And well, no one can, no one, well, I wouldn't say no one can find you there, but. No one can reach you there. Yeah, it, it, it's wonderful, yeah. right? And so I just thought, like, you know, when we paddle on the river in the summers, uh, we have a, a paddleboarding fitness class. It's, it's great, super popular. But what I notice is people come really stressed. It's midweek. But when we leave, they're, like, visibly, oh, this was great. I needed this. And so, like, this, this, is, this is the jam. So how do I incorporate it? So last January, last February, on one of our winter snowshoe tours, we were doing it at uh, Full Moon. There was three guests, and I started talking to them about forest bathing and some different stuff. And it, the response we got, I got uh, was really interesting, and it was like, you know, an emotional response, and it was like, great. And so I was thinking, like, okay, like, I think people really need this. Like, we need to talk about this because everybody's all overworked overstressed and full of anxiety and how do we fix it? And I'm, you know, like, I'm not a shrink, you know, but like, I see what works, like, let's do it. And I just try to incorporate it. And we did it for like, what, two, three minutes. It's like with silence, right? People have a certain tolerance for silence and then it gets uncomfortable and then it's like, okay, can we talk yet? And so I just like want to introduce people to this idea and say like, look, let's come out here. Let's smell what we smell. Let's, let's be mindful of what we hear what we feel. I asked everybody to shut their eyes because like when you can shut off certain senses, you can you can pick up other things that maybe you wouldn't. Like we stand there with our eyes open. We're, we're like looking around at everybody else who's looking at us saying like, are we done yet? Right? So if we shut down some of these senses, we can feel more of what's what's there and we can tap into that present moment. And I think that's really important for people. I really enjoyed it. I thought it was a nice little a nice little thing. And it was it was also just sort of a mindfulness exercise to be present in the moment, which for me is really hard sometimes because I'm always thinking about all the things I have to do when I get back. And so it's nice to be, you know, present. Um, I wanted to ask one more question. I know I keep saying that um, <laughs> about gear. I know that people are always looking for, you know, where can I get the best gear? Where can I go? Where do you go to get gear for different things? Right. It's it's challenging. There's not a lot of good like local gear stores, but uh, sports systems, they carry a nice selection. They've been around the block for a while. Um, if uh, if Dwayne's listening, like I'd love to ride your hip pocket for a while. I have so many questions and you have a very successful business that I'm just, you know, as a young business person, I, I want to ask. And, um, you know, it says a lot while I'm on a dinner cruise in Maui and I run into somebody who has nothing but awesome things to say about that shop, I'm like, this is great. Like, and I didn't even know this person when I got here. 
you know, for some things, I'll get them at REI. REI is a great shop, and I, I don't want to brow bash, but they're a big box store. They make a lot of money. They have a good philanthropic arm. For that matter, Walmart has an awesome philanthropic arm, and they are really into building mountain bike trails. Um, and they have their own outdoor store, and that's called Moose Jaw. Most people don't realize that, that, right? I had no idea. But I, I think it's really important, especially now, like as COVID is winding down. It's really important for us to look towards our local businesses because like they've been struggling and the only way for those businesses to give back to directly to the community is to help support them. And so like I, you know, if I need a water bottle for my bike for the quad, like I was at sports systems, I went down to high desert, I was at the bike smith, I'm looking for things locally. And if I can't find it, then okay, we'll, we'll go elsewhere. So um, I wanted to just go ahead and have you shout out your own business and talk about if somebody wants to book a tour, they want to get a hold of you, they want to see what you have to offer, how do they get a hold of you and kind of what does that look like for them? Yeah, so it's pretty easy. Uh, we're on the web, uh, Facebook, Instagram, uh, at com. Uh, M as in Mary, S as in Sam, T as in Tom, Mountain Stream and Trail Adventures. But uh, you can call us if you have questions. You can book online. You can send an email. You can write your thing on a paper airplane and drop <laughs> it in my mailbox. Like, I'm down with that. Yeah, yeah, totally cool. But that's that's the easiest way to, to do that, yeah. Is there anything else you want to share for somebody who's, you know, maybe thinking about getting out and having an adventure? I think the biggest thing is, is like, getting out. Like that, that is the most important thing. You don't need like the super cool backpack, the super cool hiking shoes. You don't need the stuff that outside magazine is selling you. What you need is a bottle of water and you need a pair of sunglasses and you need some sunscreen and then go adventure, right? If you have questions, do your homework ahead of time. We're not permitted to guide on La Luz, but the questions I answer for people, like, are all the time because I don't want to see you get rescued off La Luz. I, my goal is to put Albuquerque Mountain Rescue out of business. And so if I can give you enough information so that you have enough tools to arm yourself to make solid decisions, like give me a call. I like talking on the phone. I'm old school. You know, I grew up in that era where the phone was attached to the wall and you had to turn in a circle to hide from your mom, right? You know, give me a buzz. And uh, it, it's really good. And then the next thing is, is when you start looking for gear, there's two philosophies. You know, you can spend all your money, buy once, cry once. Like, that's cool. But now you've got all this gear and you probably don't have the money to go do what you want to do because you spend it all. You don't have any gas money, right? That was me in 2004 when I was a park ranger, right? Had all this cool stuff, but I didn't have the money or the time. And so the best way is to go buy used gear and that will let you figure out your systems, what you want. How do you want to dress in the rain? How do you want to hike? You know, how do you want to layer? And it allows you to do that at a lower entry point. Places to get used gear in the city is a, a shop called Outdoor Regear. John has a nice business and um, he has a lot of really cool stuff. Um, we do a used gear swap at MST Adventures. It's coming up on April the 2nd from 9 to like 4. You can sell your gear. You can come and just shop. The Duke City Wheelmen, they do a gear swap. Sports Systems does a ski swap. There's all kinds of places. So um, just, just reach out if you have questions. All right. Thank you so much for meeting with us and yeah. hanging out. And we're here at Zendo, so I'm sure you guys get a lot of that nice noise yeah. in the background. Thank you, Zendo. Yeah, thank yeah. you for that. Yeah, thanks, Zendo. This is pretty awesome. You guys were hopping today. Appreciate yeah. it. <laughs> so thanks so much. And um, yeah, have a great week, everybody. Yeah. Thanks. Hello, and welcome to Cause of Death. My name is Jackie Moranti. 
I've been studying infectious disease for 14 years in various research settings. I have a Bachelor's of Science from Colorado State University in Microbiology, Immunology, and Virology. I've worked with diseases like tuberculosis, SARS-1, and SARS-CoV-2, better known as COVID-19, and I've worked with EHV-1. It's my feeling that if we look back at the pandemics of the past, we may be able to better handle the pandemics of the future. The problem is, we have to learn our lessons first. Come along with me while I tell you about the pandemics, the epidemics, and the outbreaks, and how we never seem to learn our lesson. Hey, Albuquerque, and thanks for listening to What's Up ABQ, Albuquerque's very own podcast. Every week, Ryan and Lindsay talk to the people who add unique flavor and make a positive impact to our fair city. We help point you to the places you need to see, visit, or patronize, and to do this costs some time and resources. So, without sounding too needy, could you help us out by pitching some funds our way? You can drop some bucks in the tip jar by donating at whatsupabq.com. And if you know about a local business or establishment that should be featured, or you own one yourself, drop us a line at abqwhatsup at gmail.com. Again, the website is whatsupabq.com, and the email is abqwhatsup at gmail.com. We've also got a few sponsorship spots open, so get in touch with us soon to reserve your business's time on the show. What's Up ABQ is produced by Lindsay and Ryan with post-production assistance from me, Paul Nixon, at paulnixonvo.com. Make sure and leave us a review on your favorite podcast player. Tell your friends about us, and thanks for listening.